You're listening to Standing in the Gap. Standing in the Gap is a weekly podcast dedicated to the exposition of scriptures. I'm your host and podcast preacher, Brandon Harrell. I'm the pastor of Bethesda Baptist Church in East Flat Rock, nestled here in the mountains of Western North Carolina, where I've served for the past 10 years. I pray the podcast will bless your life as we study God's Word together. All right, we are studying the gospel according to Matthew, and we're still looking now for the 10th week at the genealogy uh, that's given here by Matthew. Of course, this is the genealogy that follows the adoptive father of Christ, Joseph, and uh, has shown us and taught us several things already in this genealogy. We looked at the goals, first of all. Uh, Matthew shows the legal as well as the lineal descent of Christ back to Abraham through David, giving his authority for kingship as well as his uh, Jewishness, if you will, as being a descendant of Abraham, very important uh, to any Jew who was looking for the Messiah to come. And so we looked at the goals of this genealogy. Then we looked at some gaps in this genealogy. We thought about some omissions, three names that were left out of these lists. And then we thought about an obstruction and that of Jeconiah and the curse that was placed upon him that had it been that Christ was actually the uh, blood relative of Joseph, uh, he would not have been able to sit upon the throne. So he has rights to da- through David, uh, but uh, the fact that he is not the bloodline of Joseph uh, because of his virgin birth uh, qualified him as the only one who could sit upon the throne of David. And so then we began to look at not only the gaps in this genealogy, the goals of the genealogy, but then the grace in this genealogy. And we're just looking at the names that are listed here. It's not just a list of names. Uh, these are those that God, by his spirit, chose to inspire Matthew to pin down. Uh, those that God had chosen to bring his son through their uh, through their line uh, and uh, to have them mentioned in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. And so we're looking at the grace in this genealogy. We saw, first of all, that there's grace for the scattered. In verse 2, it mentions uh, Judas and his brethren. Of course, those being the 12 sons of Jacob, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, that's exactly what they uh, what they were. But by the time the Lord Jesus came, we know that they were scattered abroad Um, through various captivities due to their sin. Uh, But God mentions the brethren just to remind them that he knows where they are, that he still has them in mind and still uh, desires their salvation. And so we see the grace for the scattered. Then we see grace for the sinner. Amazing that God mentions several notable uh, sinners, if you will. In the Old Testament, we read of Judas and Tamar, of Rahab, who's often referred to as the harlot. And then we read of David and Bathsheba, Uh, there in verse number 6. And uh, terrible sin there that was committed and then covered up by a grievous, a more grievous sin in the death of Uriah. But now today I want to move, well actually, uh, let me back up. We looked last time at the grace for the stranger in verse 5, talking about Rahab and Ruth and how that they were Gentiles. And we talked about the fact that we were strangers to the commonwealth of Israel. But God in Christ tells us in Ephesians that he's broken down the middle wall and made of one, uh, made of two, one body. And uh, we're brought together, reconciled to God in Christ Jesus, whether we're Jew or Gentile. 
But today I want to move and think about this thought, that there is grace in this genealogy for the soldier. Now, we've already thought about Uriah and how that he was uh, ordered to be killed by David at the hands of the enemy when he delivered that letter to uh, Joab. Uh, but Uriah was a notable soldier in the army of David. And uh, I want to think about him for just a little while. Now, most of you know the story. After that David had sinned with Bathsheba, he got word that she was with child. And so no doubt uh, when she sent this word, she was in trepidation for her own life for an adulteress under the Jewish economy was to be stoned. And I'm sure that she, having married a man like Uriah, who was a, uh, a soldier, probably uh, was fearful for her own life. This would have meant that she would be stoned. And so she's likely sent word back to David that uh, she's in fear for her life. And so David's worried because he's going to get caught in this sin of adultery. He's done this act, and now uh, the uh, the uh, the coming out of that sin is going to be uh, unavoidable. It's going to be known if he doesn't do something. And so his plan is to call Uriah in uh, from the battle uh, to feign that he needs a report of what's going on, whatever uh, pretense he placed upon it. He wants to bring Uriah home, have Uriah go home and uh, spend the night there with his wife. And then he can pawn the pregnancy of Bathsheba off onto Uriah. So David brings him in, asks him about the battle, very abrupt questions that he asks. How do the men do? How is Joab doing? And just very basic general questions that David would not have needed to call a soldier in for uh, receiving the answers of. And so he sends Uriah away with the idea that he would go. He sends him with a meal and that he would go and share this meal with his wife and that then David would be uh, cleared of any suspicion in this sin and Bathsheba would not have to worry about uh, the fact that when she became evidently with child that uh, she would have to worry about uh, the stoning because she could say, well, Uriah came home and she would have an excuse but in Second Samuel chapter 11, verses 9 through 11, Uriah really throws a wrench in the cogs of this plan. And he does this with every good motive. Some people try to say that he knows, uh, that he knows what had happened. I don't believe that's so. I think he's just a good soldier. And he's doing what he thinks is right. And so in Second Samuel 11, verses 9 through 11, of course, Uriah, is brought before us, who's mentioned there in verse 6 of Matthew 1. It says, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went down, went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down unto his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? So, so Uriah didn't go where David told him to go. He didn't go and, and spend the night at his house with his wife and eat the meal that David had prepared. Instead, he slept at the door of the king's house with all his servants and his lord. And David asks him, why didn't you go? Now, this is his answer. And Uriah said unto David, The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest and as thy soul liveth? 
I will not do this thing. So Uriah tells him, he says, Israel and the ark are in tents. Now, we believe the tent was the place where David had prepared for the ark to sit. Uh, and some believe that this might have been taken to the battlefield. It very well could have been. They would do that at times. I don't know where it was, but I do know that wherever it was, it was in a tent, basically a canvas or leather uh, skin-covered uh, structure, and uh, that's where it was resting. That's where it was. And he says, and Israel and Judah, and he's not talking about the inhabitants of the cities, but rather the soldiers from each of the tribes and from both the kingdoms were at war. They were uh, in battle. And he says, they're in tents. He says, and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. He said, my, 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 my master, my captain, he's out there sleeping in an open field along with the other servants of him, uh, along with my comrades, my buddies, my friends, my fellow soldiers. They're out there laying in the fields. They're exposed to the elements and Israel and Judah are in tents and uh, the ark's in tents and we're out here at battle. And he says, should I then go into my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife as thou livest? He says, as my soul liveth, I will not do this thing. And so Uriah has, there's several things that could be said about him as far as being a good soldier, but my, what loyalty he has to the cause of David and the cause of Israel. It's on his mind. It's on his heart. He's not in this thing half-heartedly. He's in it for the long haul. He's in it with all that he has to the point that he would deny himself fleshly pleasure and fleshly comfort in order to uh, just to associate with those who were still on the battlefield. I like what Matthew Henry wrote. He said, in times of public difficulty and danger, it does not become us to repose ourselves in security or roll ourselves in pleasure. And that's exactly what Uriah was avoiding when he did this. He said, I will not go. I will not do this. I, I can't do that in good conscience, knowing that my fellow soldiers are still on the battlefield. So Uriah was a loyal soldier. And though he was not a direct descendant of Christ, a direct relative in the lineage of Joseph, He's still mentioned here, and I believe it's so that we will think about the fact that he was a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We are commanded to be good soldiers of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 5, the scripture says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast learned and thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. And these, these elements of what it is to be a good soldier are clear in the life of Uriah and ought to be clear in the life of every true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to endure hardness. I want you to know that in the battle there's hardness. And they, uh, the fellow soldiers and Joab that uh, were at battle with uh, uh, Uriah, they were enduring hardness. And he said if they're going to endure hardness, 
I'm going to endure hardness. And brother, uh, that's an attitude we ought to have toward each other. We ought to bear one another's burdens and we ought to be willing to endure hardness for Jesus' sake. And he says, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, we have a great captain to fight for. We have a great banner of the love of Christ to fight under. And uh, we have rules of engagement by which we are to engage in this battle. He says there in verse 5 of of 2 Timothy, if a man also strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. And we are to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is our offensive weapon in this battle. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, the pulling down of strongholds. And if you don't think we're in a battle, you're not paying attention. There is a battle going on, a battle being raged for the souls of men, for the fidelity of the people of God, for the testimony of the church. And we must put on, as the scripture says in Ephesians 6, the whole armor of God. And we must stand, and having done all to stand, we must stand, therefore, having our loins girt about with truth. And uh, all of those elements of the, uh, of the armor of God, Uh, We ought to uh, have our feet shod with the gospel of the preparation of the gospel of peace. And we ought to have on the breastplate of righteousness. And we ought to take the shield of faith wherewith we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And the helmet of salvation. We ought to guard our minds against false doctrines and deception. And so we need to take the whole armor of God and be good soldiers as Uriah was a good soldier. A last word quickly, he was a good picture of Christ in that he was as a lamb led to the slaughter. And though Uriah was unaware what he was taking that letter back to Joab for, I'm glad to report our Lord knew good and well what he was doing uh, when he walked up Calvary with that cross on his back to lay down his life for sinners. He says, I lay it down of myself and I take it up again. And so let us be good soldiers and fight for our captain who is the Lord Jesus. Till next time, this has been Preacher Brandon. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. I hope it's been a blessing to you. If you'd like to contact me, you can find our church's website at www.BethesdaBaptistEastFlatRock.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at PreacherB underscore BBC. If you'd like to watch our services live streamed, You can do that on Facebook at Bethesda Baptist East Flat Rock. God bless you till we meet again.